Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Live with Howard David Live. Welcome to Ralph Vacchiano of SNY. Television covers the Giants. How long have you been covering the Giants? Oh my gosh. Uh, after the last few years, it feels like about 150 <laughs> years. Uh, but I started way back in, geez, 1991, although I was very, very young then. Yeah, so were we all. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, the Giants, uh, I, I see a lot of people in articles that I have read recently. They're trying to compare the Giants to the Cleveland Browns uh, prior to this current Browns team from the standpoint of, you know, the Browns went through a tough time um, and the Giants are going through a tough time. I, I don't know if the comparison is valid or not, but I think the Giants would say, yeah, okay, I'll take that considering where the Browns are now. Yeah, I would think they would take that. Um, you know, I think there are probably some parallels there and that, you know, it took a few years of rebuilding to get to that point. I don't know that any Giants fans absolutely believe the Giants are on that path. They may be hopeful that they're on that path, but, you know, they are reaching the point, and the Browns reach this too, where, you know, you have all these young players. You've been, you've been adding these top 10 picks. You've added some free agents. You know, you've pleaded patience you know we'll get there we're building the right way well at some point it's all got to come together and that's the the place you know it did for the browns and now that's where we are for the giants you know you sold the promise of daniel jones well let's see it you, you sold the promise of saquon barkley and those young offensive linemen they got to do it the same with the you know the young edge rushers the young guys in the secondary there's there's a lot of potential talent there and i think when people around the league are honest they would say you know a lot of those draft picks the giants got they were there were guys we like too, but it hasn't quite shown itself yet, and, and that's where they are now, where everybody's kind of waiting. Okay, we're ready. Are you? Uh, taking a bite of the Big Apple with Ralph Vacchiano of SNY Television. So the Giants are about 10 years removed from winning the Super Bowl. Uh, 2016 was their last playoff appearance when they lost to Green Bay, uh, their last winning season. Uh, they're off a six-win season. The promise is always there at the beginning of the year, and watching them on Sunday, uh, I didn't see a lot of progress in the area that was really important, that is the offensive line. And so that leads me to the question about Saquon Barkley. He has been injured, uh, but he was kind of limited on Sunday to uh, very few touches. Why do you think that was? Was it just precautionary? Well, yeah, I'm sure, look, he, he hasn't played in a year. He hasn't been in a game in a year. Uh, he only practiced for a couple of weeks before he got on the field. You know, you can look healthy, you can look fast, you can look all that in practice, but the game is different, um, especially when the blocking's not there and, you know, guys want to kill you, as opposed in practice where they, you know, know better than to even touch them. So I think the Giants were cautious. I think their approach was to, you know, in their head, limit him a little bit, um, but they wanted to see how he felt as the game went along and 
while he felt fine, he clearly didn't look like his old self. There was not a lot of explosion in his, you know, first step, his cuts, his speed. And that's, again, it's understandable. It's, you know, he's coming back with serious injury. Also, don't forget, for the most part in that game, they did not have the ball. Uh, you know, they had, a, had it for 11 minutes of the first half. They didn't have it a lot in the third quarter. The Broncos started out with a almost a nine-minute drive um, a- after holding the ball for, what, 19 minutes in the first half. So they had 28 of the first 39 minutes in the Broncos' hands. And, you know, the rest of that was basically the Giants in a two-minute drill trying to catch up. So um, that's part of why the Saquon Barkley was limited. But I think you're going to see more of that for the first few weeks because they you know, they just don't feel he's ready for 25 carries right now. Well, it's the fifth straight opening day loss for the Giants. Daniel Jones, uh, 22 out of 37 for 267 yards. He had the one touchdown to Sterling Shepard. Uh, uh, Sterling Shepard caught seven balls for 113 yards. I think you'd have to say he was the lone bright spot. Uh, you see, you got a chance to see Kenny Galladay, who was a free agent acquisition he caught four balls for 64 yards, but three of those balls were caught in the second half. Uh, I don't know if you had, do you have enough sampling to determine uh, how, f- uh, wh- where Kenny Galladay is going to fit in here? Is he and, and Sterling Shepard going to be the two primary targets? Yeah, well, I hope the fourth quarter is an indication that he's going to be a big part of the offense because he looked good, made some really tough catches uh, in that fourth quarter. Uh, you know, he, he looked like a number one receiver there, but. You know, honestly, when I watched that game and I saw him appear in the fourth quarter, I, I thought, oh, it's, it's, he finally got in the game. And then it turns out he played like 85% of the snaps, which stunned me hmm. because there was a good – and I went back and looked. Between his first catch in the second quarter and the next time they threw to him, there was like a 30-minute gap of playing time where they didn't even look in his direction. And there was something like – you know, actually, it was more than that. It was almost 40 minutes. It was something like 30 throws by Daniel Jones or dropbacks. And uh, it just didn't look at, at Kenny Galladay at all. So they got to get him more involved earlier. I, I don't know what they were thinking not doing that. I mean, some of that was Sterling Shepard got off to a. I think we lost. Oh, there he is. You with me, Ralph? Hope, Howard, you still there? Yep. Oh, sorry. I don't know what that was. I was somehow I pressed on your message there. I hope that didn't come over the air. But <laughs> regardless, uh, yeah, I mean, they, Sterling Shepard had a good start, which I think buried Kenny Galladay a bit. But they can't. He's the best receiver, and I think that as uh, time goes on, they're going to use him more and more. Then you go to the defensive side of the ball. Now, Teddy Bridgewater had a pretty good day. I don't know if the statistics really tell the story. Well, one statistic really does tell the story. He converted three fourth-down plays, which is kind of rare. It is, and he was incredibly successful on third down as well, especially in those first 40 minutes or so of the game. Um, a terrible job by the Giants' defense is really the only way you can say it. They got you know, no semblance of a pass rush outside of Leonard Williams, and you know, last year they were able to scheme some around him and you know, not put him on an island. At this time, they couldn't do it. Uh, even though they, you know, they have Lorenzo Carter and O'Shane Zimenez, two promising young edge rushers that are supposed to be coming of age this year, um, and the Giants' secondary was a disappointment. You know, it was that was the strength of the team last year, and you know they were able to work in now uh, safety Xavier McKinney, their second round pick from a year ago, who didn't play much last year. They signed Adoree Jackson, a promising young cornerback that they gave a ton of money to, and somehow the secondary was worse and. You know, I've heard people say, oh, the Broncos have a great receiving core. 
okay, they have a good receiving core. They're not all world. This isn't, you know, the, 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 the best I've ever seen. The Giants should have been able to stop them and, you know, get them off the field a little bit more than they did. And, and you know, I don't know really what went wrong with it, but I'll tell you this, if that defense is not good, this Giants team is really going to stink because I think it's going to take a while for the offense to come together. The defense should be their strength. Well, one of the receivers for the Broncos, Jerry Judy, went out. I don't know how long he's out, but if it's a high ankle sprain, he could be looking at four to six weeks. Yeah, yeah, that's what it sounds like. Uh, Jabril Peppers. I mean, I've been a fan of this kid since he was at Michigan. Uh, he seems like, uh, you know, the old proverbial Swiss Army knife. He can do it all. Uh, and he played an inordinate amount of plays in this game. Yeah, he. I mean, he's a guy that I think that they believe uh, will be a big part of their secondary. Uh, you know, they're going to rotate him because they do like Xavier McKinney. They have Logan Ryan, who's a good player. Uh, you know, they talked about wanting to keep the Peppers fresh and not overdo him because they, you know, could have him on returns as well. He plays special teams. Um, you know, there's a lot they can do that they can do, and they, they see him as a big part of their future. He's a guy playing for a contract for next year. You know, you've seen safeties get paid. Uh, you know, they really want uh, they want him to be a bigger part of, of their defense than he was. Um, you know, have more impact on it. They they they're as high on him as you are. They 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 loved him coming out of the draft. They would have drafted him if they had the chance. And uh, you know, to get him back in a trade was a, really you know when they made that big. Uh, you know, Odell Beckham, uh, Olivier Vernon trade. Peppers was the thing to put it over the top for them. Um, I've, I had Carl Banks on, uh, who does their radio with Bob Papa. Uh, and I asked Carl, I said, do you think this is a make or break year for Daniel Jones? And he quickly responded. He goes, no. Uh, he said, you know, you, you can't keep grinding out, well, we're going to pick a quarterback. We're going to draft a quarterback. Well, now he's in his third season. And usually a third year, is the make-or-break year for quarterback. We're going to find out exactly who he is. Do you think it's a make-or-break year for Daniel Jones? Yeah, I love Carl, but he's wrong on that. Um, you know, it's 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 not a make-or-break year in the sense that he could still have a career. You know, Ryan Tannehill is the great example of, you know, he was not what he was supposed to be for the first few years of his career, and then suddenly he was a pro bowler. So it certainly can happen. The question really is, is it a make-or-break year for Daniel Jones with the Giants? Because they have to decide after this year, do they want to pick up his fifth-year option for 20-something million in, in 2023? Mm. You do that, you know, it does buy you some time. It makes him a little harder to get rid of, uh, to trade, to cut, whatever. Um, you know, he's he, you're stuck with him for another couple of years, so you need to know, you know, is he a guy we think is headed in the right direction? And we'll get better. The other part of this equation, and this is it's significant because the Jets just faced this. The Giants are, are sitting on two first round picks next year. Theirs, which could be high, and the one with the Chicago Bears that they after they traded down in the first round of the draft, which also could be reasonably high. And even if both of them are like around 14, 15 or so, which I think most people would assume would be around where those picks are, you can then package them to move up. And you know, it's the decision the Jets faced. They liked Sam Darnold. They thought he would develop into a good quarterback, but they loved Zach Wilson. And the idea that they could start over with someone with a higher upside and be back on the, you know, the rookie contract again was too good for them to pass up when they were picking number two. And that's what the Giants are going to face. If they could get up to, I don't even know who the quarterbacks are coming out, but if they find one that it's, if somebody will emerge as, 
you know, Joe Burrow, Zach Wilson, Trevor Lawrence, and everybody's going to love him. And if the Giants can get up and get him and reset that financial clock, Daniel Jones is gone if he's not good. And there's there's no doubt about that. So, yeah, it, it's, it's a make-or-break year for him in New York. There's a middle ground where... I don't really know, and maybe he sticks around a little bit, and you know, maybe in a couple of years he turns out to be good. But one way or another, they've got to make some sort of decision on him this offseason. Bigger question: Is this a make or break year for Dave Gettleman, the general manager? One hundred percent. And there's the same thing where there's a little bit of middle ground where they could be, you know, not a playoff team, but show some progress, and he could stay. And you know, I know the fans hate him, and I get it, but I'm telling you. John Mara does not want to make the change in general manager. Not only does he like Dave Gettleman, he hates, hates, hates upheaval in the front office because it changes everything about their business. It very likely would lead to a new coach probably in the next year or so, if not right away. It might need to lead to a whole bunch of new players and rebuilding because the GM is going to want to do it his way. John will look to avoid that at all costs, but he's also not an idiot. There have been four straight under Dave's watch, you know, three straight under Dave's watch, four straight overall, 10-plus loss season. Can't afford another one. There's there's no way that John Mara could, you know, watch them go 6-11, 7-10 and, and stand before the fans and say, we're headed in the right direction. Nobody will buy tickets next year. Well, they come off the loss to Denver on Sunday, and they're gonna have a, they don't have a lot of time in wallowing in the loss because they got to play Washington on Thursday. And Washington, who got beat by... Uh, the Chargers last Sunday, they're going to have a different quarterback. Uh, I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick left Sunday's game with a hip injury. Uh, that'll knock him out for probably something like four to six weeks. So Taylor Heineke comes into the game, and he'll start. Uh, he had flashes where he I thought he looked pretty good the other day. But uh, I, I don't know what how the Giants' preparation is so far as Heineke is concerned. But he is a guy that showed some flashes last year. And even uh, even the game on Sunday. What do you make of him? I, you know, I think he's a solid NFL backup. I don't think he's somebody that scares anyone. Um, I'm not too freaked out about him replacing Ryan Fitzpatrick and know that might change things for the Giants because I've seen far too many games over the years where some nondescript backup comes in and beats the Giants. Um, you know, certainly he's capable of moving the offense. I think they've got enough weapons around them to make it easier for them. I think the straight to the Redskins, the Redskins, straight to the Washington football team is the defense anyway. Um, you know, if their defense plays the way it has, and the Giants offense stinks, then Tyler Haneke is good enough to win that game. So, um, you know, it might change some things, uh, but on a short week for the Giants, I don't know that it gives them any kind of advantage to not have Fitzpatrick there. It's just sort of is what it is. You know, I don't go crazy about schedules, Ralph, to be honest with you. But, uh, you know, after Washington, you've got an Atlanta team that's got some issues. Of them. They didn't make the playoffs. The New Orleans Saints, uh, I thought, uh, kind of surprised some people. Uh, <laughs> they, that may be one of the understatements of the year. The New Orleans Saints probably had the most. If you went last Sunday before the game and said, who's going to have a bigger game, Jameis Winston or Aaron Rodgers, you would lose everything you owned. Uh, I mean, did Jameis Winston had an incredible game throwing five touchdown passes, and here they are, they're going to face him two weeks down the road. I know they're not looking two weeks down the road, but again, you look at a Saints team and you wonder how in the world they beat Green Bay and beat him so bad. Yeah, I mean, you know, weeks, strange things happen week one sometimes. I think that the Saints, honestly, with Jameis Winston, I thought they could still be good. He's a 
he threw a lot of touchdown passes uh, during his years in Tampa. He just threw interceptions too. Yep. Um, you know, should he have been that much better than Aaron Rodgers? No, probably not. But again, week one is kind of strange. I think you know, anytime you got a quarterback like that, again, the way this Giants defense looked like in in week one, they're going to be a problem. And, and the Giants' schedule, they're going to ignore it. They're not going to they'll look too far ahead or anything like that. But I did. They play you know at New Orleans, at Kansas City. Um, they play uh, you know, a couple of at Tampa Bay. They're home against the Rams. They're at the Los Angeles Chargers. Right there, there's five games against teams that I could say have a shot at the Super Bowl. And the Dallas Cowboys, they got to play twice. They might have a shot at the Super Bowl based on the way they looked in week one. That's a lot of top contenders and a lot on the road for this team that, you know, I think the one thing that everybody around the Giants and everybody who covered them and everyone agreed on was, boy, they better start fast. And it's a 5-11 and Denver team should have been a nice soft opening for them. So that's why one of the reasons there's so many alarm bells it's not going to get any easier as this thing goes along. The thing that uh, we're talking with Ralph Vacchiano of SNY Television, taking a bite of the Big Apple with Ralph. A couple of things surprised me on Sunday. Uh, well, one thing definitely did not surprise me is that the teams in the NFC West all won. But the teams in the AFC West also all won, which, which was kind of a surprise. I mean, I think uh, the, AFC, the NFC West is probably the toughest division top to bottom in the league. Yeah, it might be. Um, you know, unfortunately, covering the Jets and Giants, I don't get to watch a lot of these other games. But you know, they're certainly loaded. Um, you know, I, I don't know that uh, I was so sure about San Francisco with Jimmy Garoppolo. With you know, they might be headed to a new uh, you know new quarterback at some point. But you know, that's a pretty good team right there, and you know, they showed it in their opener. Obviously, the Rams have been one of the best teams in football. Um, you know, top to bottom. I don't know, you know, somebody's going to finish last and they're not going to deserve to finish last. So they might be the best. And you know, it's, again, it's alarming that uh, you know, the Giants have to play one of them, um, play two of them, I think. Um, but yeah, they're, they're going to be tough to beat anywhere. Uh, you mentioned the Jets. Zach Wilson makes his debut last Sunday and, and started out rocky and it wasn't on him. I mean, that, he should have sued uh, that offensive line for lack of protection, my goodness. I mean, he, he was running for his life you know, coming out of the tunnel. It got to a point where you're saying, can somebody block somebody? <laughs> and then they lose Mekhi Becton probably for six weeks. They're, they're uh, you know, high draft choice to tackle. But to be fair, uh, as bad as they were dominated by Sam Donald and, and the Pan- Carolina Panthers in the first half, he looked a lot better and the team looked a lot better in the second half. Well, they outscored Carolina fourteen to three. Yeah, he showed me something. He showed a lot of people something. Uh, his toughness, his ability to stand there and make a throw when under pressure, his ability to get out of pressure and make a play. You know, all that was good. The offensive line was alarming. Obviously, they you know he, he was brutalized back there, and that's never. You know, Joe Douglas built a deep line. We'll find out if it's a good line, but. Becton down and okay, well George Fan now could be the left tackle and Morgan Moses is sitting there to be the right tackle. Uh, they still have veterans behind them, so uh, you know they could be okay. That line obviously has got to play a lot better because they couldn't generate a running game either, and that's supposed to be the strength of their team. That was alarming, but uh, you know they did play a little bit better at times in the second half, and you know maybe they can build on that. 
Well, he did, uh, in, even in preseason, uh, Darnold, uh, not Darnold, Wilson had developed a rapport with uh, Corey Davis at free agent acquisition, and he and he got him again on Sunday. Uh, the guy I, I didn't see anything to speak of from, that I'm waiting to see, uh, is uh, the wide receiver they drafted out of Ole Miss, Elijah Moore. I mean, I watched him last year in college. I thought he was sensational. And he was sensational in the spring and uh, early in the summer, too, and then got a quad injury and was gone for most of the summer. He was on the field a ton on Sunday. He played a lot of snaps. Uh, I can't remember the exact percentage, but he was he was basically their number two receiver with Keelan Cole and James Crowder out. His issue was the first two passes thrown to him, he dropped. Hmm. You know, one easy one over the flat, right into his hands. Maybe a, a little low for you or me, but for him, he's got to hold on to it right out of his hands. Another one, a deep ball, you know, tough catch for a uh, you know, mere mortal, but if for a, a second-round pick, he's got to catch it right through his hands. So um, that's bad. And that's, you know, I, I, I think I wrote that I didn't see him. I don't think I saw a practice where he dropped two passes all summer long, and he basically does it on his first two passes in the NFL. And I'm going to assume he's going to be better, and as he is better, he will, uh, you know, be more part of the offense, maybe – because he had to take on a bigger role. Maybe his head was swimming a little bit, but uh, certainly a disappointing debut for him. So now they face New England, their home opener on Sunday. Uh, New England, who, who had a chance to win a game on Sunday against Miami, but, uh, you know, you can't turn it over in a critical spot. They did, and that's, uh, you know, that, that Belichick, I'm sure, dwelled on that uh, on Monday when they were watching film. But Mac Jones... I, I hear there's, there's kind of a lot of opinions about him. I like what I see from this kid. I liked him last year at Alabama when he was loaded with receivers and offensive line people and Najee Harris as well. Uh, I think Mac Jones got a chance to be something special. There's certainly a lot of NFL people that agree with you. He um, you know, seemed to come out of nowhere in the draft process, but the NFL you know people who were studying quarterbacks will swear that he was always on their radar, that, you know, uh, I'm the comparisons are obvious because of you know who he is and where he plays, but they see a lot of Tom Brady in him, and that he is you know not spectacular, but he is calm. He gets the job done. He's smart, knows where to go with the ball. There's no panic with him in the big spots. It's all the stuff you want. Your franchise quarterback. Uh, you know, I, I like what I saw from him in the preseason. I think from everything I've read, he played well. I'm anxious to see him against the Jets on Sunday. Uh, you know, it should be a defense he can take advantage of. And, um, you know, it, 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 nothing else, it seems like the Patriots are in good hands for the future. What do you think about last night? Uh, I, have a, an, I have an opinion about Lamar Jackson. I think he's a phenomenal athlete. Uh, but, you know, they, they've been devastated with injuries, particularly at the running back position. And he's a great runner also. I, I always doubted whether or not he could be a proficient passer. Uh, and last night they had a two-touchdown lead over Las Vegas in an incredible atmosphere, 60-something thousand people in Las Vegas, and they were going bonkers. A friend of mine lives in Las Vegas that it's the hardest ticket to get in town for anything. And so the fans have welcomed the Raiders. Uh, but I got to give David Carr a lot of credit. He had a hell of a ball game when it mattered late in the game. Yeah, he played great. Uh, you know, it was obviously a wild game. Um you know, I, I, you see a lot of those on week one when everybody's still trying to, to feel themselves out. Uh, you know, I, I think Lamar Jackson's a good quarterback. I, I There are quarterbacks I like better. I think, you know, you have to sort of accept him um, a little bit 
I don't know, more he's he's, he's got to get the whole package in him. He's a weapon. He is a guy that you know if you're looking for that pocket pass or the guy that can just sit there and sling it, he's not him. He's a guy that can move and can just by the fact that he can get out of trouble and create something is always going to change the way the game is played. Uh, you know, it's you know, is he the best thrower I've ever seen? No, is he certainly not the best drop back passer. But you put everything together, and you know, he's probably a top five or six quarterback in the league. Certainly a top five or six weapon to me. So. Um, you know, it will help the Ravens to overcome all those losses of running backs to have a guy like him, because sometimes it's just the threat of running that changes the defense. And you know, he's he's certainly a threat. Well, he was their leading rusher again last night with 86 yards on the ground. I don't know if you can survive with your quarterback as your top rusher, but they pick up Sammy Watkins this year. He was their leading receiver last night. Uh, but getting back to uh, to David Carr. Um, I, I know John Gruden for a long time, and, and John Gruden is in the ear of his quarterback all game long. And David Carr had what I thought was, I mean, you usually you don't win games when you throw 56 passes, but they did. He threw for 435 yards and two touchdowns. He had one pick. But they, they've got, I mean, he finds Darren Walker, I mean, Darren Waller, 10 catches for 105 yards and a touchdown. That's a hell of a combination they've got there. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, there's there's some weapons there. Carr's always been a little better quarterback than most people give him credit for. He's got a terrific tight end to throw to. You know, Henry Ruggs develops into a receiver everybody thought he would be. He's going to have a good deep threat, too. Uh, you know, Josh Jacobs is healthy. They can run. They have, they have a lot of offensive pieces. I think, you know, um, I don't know that somehow the Raiders never quite put it together, um, but they just attempt. Have you with me? Yeah, still here. I kind kind of lost you a little bit. Um, the game that kind of um, well, aside from you know the New Orleans and Green Bay game, but the game that kind of surprised me a little bit uh, from the standpoint of the outcome was Pittsburgh beating Buffalo in Buffalo. Do you know that they've beaten Buffalo in Buffalo five of the last six times they played them? That wow. seems that seems bizarre. Yeah, that is strange. I didn't see any of that game, obviously. Uh, you know, Buffalo is a terrific team, and, and to me, I, they were my pick to go to the Super Bowl. So I have a feeling that that's one of those. You know, again, every week, every week one, you see something that jumps some some surprise outcome. And the Steelers are pretty good, so maybe this wasn't a big surprise. But uh, you know, it, I think the Buffalo Bills will probably recover fine. I remember uh, when Saquon Barkley was drafted, and a lot of Giant fans went crazy because they they couldn't believe he was picked at number two. They, went, they should have gone after a quarterback, people felt, and so on. And, and down, was it number six? Josh Allen is out there. The Giants had a mulligan. You think they picked Josh Allen ahead of Barkley? Oh, I don't know about that. They, <laughs> they, they love Barkley. Um, you know, Dave Gettleman would. I, I think he's absolutely resolute, and I got it right, and Barkley will prove me right. I think maybe he would get a little more resistance. So I, think, I think that if everybody knew then what they know now, there might have been a consensus around Josh Allen. I think that was one of the big issues back then is, you know, between the head coach, the coordinator, the scouting director, Gettleman, everybody who looked at it, there was no consensus. They all liked different quarterbacks. And I think that the fact that Dave Gettleman was in love with Barkley and nobody could tell him, we all agree this is a great quarterback, uh, you know, certainly swayed him in the direction of the running back. I, I like uh, getting back to the Pittsburgh-Buffalo game for a second. Uh, very impressed with Pittsburgh's defense and their special teams. I mean, they block a punt. 
and they pick it up and they, they scoop it up and go in for a touchdown. Uh, it's going to be an intriguing game this week. Las Vegas has to travel to the east and play Pittsburgh. I'll be very curious to see how Vegas is able to attack that Pittsburgh defense. Yeah, yeah, me too. Um, you know, it's uh, week two as a way of resetting everything. So we'll, we'll find out, you know, if that defense was good against the Bills, we'll find out how really good it is. It, doing it once is, you know, could be a fluke. Doing it twice, you know, you've shown usually heading into week three, you get a much better idea of what's real and what's not. I, my, my wife and I were dials ch- changing channels last night. We were going back and forth with the Monday night game. She says, what else is on? Because the game really, uh, we were kind of looking uh, for something, a spark or something, and it wasn't there. So we're looking around. I said, hey, hard knocks. I haven't seen this yet with the Dallas Cowboys. But here's what I guarantee you, I said to my wife. First thing we see is Jerry Jones. And what happened? I put hard knocks on. First thing we saw, Jerry Jones. Sure, of course. <laughs> Uh, the Cowboys, uh, you know, had a chance, better than a, better than an even chance. They had a chance to beat Tampa uh, last week, and and they fell short. Look, you gave away four points from your kicker, but I thought they did a hell of a job, and they've got to be considered right now the favorite to win the NFC East. I would think so. Um, I, I think that, um, you know, I mean – there's no there's no dominant team there, so it's certainly possible. Um, they looked really good. We'll see if they continue to look good, um, or if that was just a fluke for them. But it, it changes a lot if Dak Prescott is healthy. They've obviously got a lot of offensive weapons. Ralph, appreciate your time. Thanks a lot for your insight, uh, and you stay safe. Thanks, Howard. Anytime. You got Take it, care. pal. Thanks, Ralph Facciano of SNY Television covers uh, primarily the Giants, but also the Jets. I think the Giants got a problem, a real problem. And I don't think it's Daniel Jones. I really don't. Uh, I think the defense is questionable. Uh, I think that Daniel Jones has got enough good receivers around him, and I think Barkley will eventually get back to where he was. Uh, So I don't think that's an issue. The schedule is not that demanding early, but it gets more difficult later on. And You know, they won six games last year. I don't know that they're going to win that many this year. It, It could be. Can they win more than that? I think it's going to be very difficult. Uh, I like Dallas in that division. Um, but we'll see how it all shakes out. You know, th- these things have a way of getting fixed. So we'll check it out. We're going to welcome in Eric Boland. Hello. Yes, yeah, Eric Boland. How are you, sir? Yeah. I'm good, Howard. How are you? I can't complain, Eric, from New York News Days. We're taking a bite of the Big Apple with Eric. Uh, if I were a betting man, and I'm not, the last thing I would bet on is sports because I know the pitfalls. But if I were a betting man in the bottom of the 10th inning last night and Gary Sanchez coming to the plate, I would have bet that he would done. He would not have done what he did. Uh, he delivers the big blow. Gleyber Torres scores. Yankees win the game. Uh, thanks to a very friendly foe who let a 5 nothing lead slip away. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, if, if the Yankees could have handpicked an opponent to play after the weekend that they had at, at City Field, it certainly would have been uh, the, uh, the Minnesota Twins, who I, I don't have it in front of me, but I think their record against the Twins since 2002, including the postseason, is 139-38. 
which is almost impossible to even comprehend that number, uh, particularly when the Twins have had a lot of good teams uh, in, in that time. So uh, even when the Yankees were down five nothing uh, early on, uh, you just you, you no matter how good or bad the Yankees are going in a given year, or how good or bad the Twins are going in a given year, uh, you just always feel the Yankees are going to beat the Twins because a vast majority of the time, based on the statistic I just gave you, uh, that's what they do. Uh, obviously, it didn't look real good in the eighth inning when they're still down five to two. But then Judge, who far and away is the MVP for this team uh, this year, uh, came through with the three-run homer. And then uh, you know Sanchez, who you know even when he's gone bad over the years, has a propensity to to, to come up with with the big at bat uh, on occasion. Did so uh, in the tenth yesterday and and let the Yankees uh, you know breathe a sigh of relief uh, until their next crisis. Uh, and, and who knows when that's going to come? Maybe it'll be here in Baltimore for this three game series. But uh, I, I think after what the Blue Jays bats did to the Orioles uh, last week, uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised, even though the Yankees offense is in one of those uh, down cycles, it seems, uh, I wouldn't be shocked to see them get healthy over the next three days here uh, in Baltimore, because that, that's a pitching staff that just uh, is, I, I don't even think they, I don't even think it's accurate to describe them being on fumes. I, I think they're fumeless at this point. I'll, I'll add a stat to what you gave before about the meetings against the Twins. Minnesota at Yankee Stadium, has dropped 21 of the last 23 at Yankee yeah, Stadium. It, it really is like even if a team was intentionally trying to lose because of the nature of the sport, they would you would think win more than 38 times in, in 160 or 70 tries or, or whatever that we're talking about. I mean, it really is like it's, a, it's one of those statistical improbabilities uh, when you look at that number. And again, considering the fact that the, the Twins have had a lot of really good teams uh, in that stretch. Uh, it, it's one of those confounding things that uh, you, you really scratch your head over. But I, I can tell you one thing. Uh, it, it is something that the uh, the Twins in, in their dugout is something they're very much aware of. And that you, it's almost a palpable feeling. Like the Yankees know they're going to come back and the Twins know it too. Eric Boland of New York Newsday were taking a bite at Big Apple with Eric. When, when Sanchez came up, and, and I told you what my thoughts were then, but I got to give him a lot of credit. The pitch he hit for the winning double down the left field line, what would have been a double, was it was not an easy pitch to hit. That was inside and low. How he how he turned on that is is incredible. You know, one of the things that people forget about uh, Gary is that uh, number one, he's one of the hardest workers on the team, and that that narrative that that unfortunately has been allowed to percolate over the years that he somehow is lazy and doesn't care, et cetera, et cetera. I always push back very hard on that because uh, I think it's tinged with 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 something I'm not going to get into here, uh, but also it's just completely inaccurate. Uh, anybody that's spent any time around the Yankees talking to players, coaches, et cetera, will tell you that, that Sanchez is one of the, the hardest workers. Number two, people forget when he was coming up in the minors, and Brian Cashman said this, and opposing team scouts said this too, uh, he was considered one of the best all-around hitters. Uh, in terms of being able to uh, hit different uh, pitches, as you just alluded to yesterday, uh, his game-winning hit came off of a, a, what really was not a bad pitch at all, uh, and he was able to, uh, you know, rifle it into the into the outfield for the for the game-winning hit. Uh, he is a very very good hitter who has obviously been very streaky, but when it comes to the pure technique of, of hitting, uh, he's actually pretty highly regarded in that respect, even though obviously the results have not always been there, and certainly the last couple of years it's been a struggle. When Chapman comes into the game um, and he, he gives up 
a double and then a walk and all of that. I'm going, uh-oh, I've seen this movie before. But he managed to work out of it, uh, fly ball to deep center field, and, and that was the end of the inning. Uh, I, I uh, Garrett Cole comes back. I guess he's going to go tonight. Is that right? Yes, he is going to pitch tonight. Yeah, so that's the opener of the three-game set with Baltimore. And for over the course of time, particularly in recent years, if they've taken advantage of Minnesota, they've done the same thing with Baltimore. Except that early on, didn't they lose the series to Baltimore early on? Yeah, it's been one of those strange things. You know, you, you look at the uh, the Yankees against the AL East this year. Uh, it hasn't been very good. I don't have the number right in front of me, but I think they're 28 and 34, 28 and 35, something like that. And that includes uh, seven or eight losses to uh, to the Orioles, which is a team that, uh, number one, is historically bad. Uh, and number two, you know, one of the Yankees' main competitors in the AL East, uh, the uh, the Tampa Bay Rays went like 17 and one against them this year so uh you know the and if you you know compare their the team's respective records against baltimore and just against baltimore uh you know the yankees if they did against the orioles what the uh, the rays have the yankees are a little bit closer in the al east race um so yeah it's been one of those confounding things that uh, you look at the baltimore as bad as they are uh they actually have given the yankees a lot of trouble this uh, season and recently is a week and a half ago when they took two out of three at yankee stadium that said uh i would be shocked if the orioles even get one of the games here uh against the yankees because that that pitching staff just right now has absolutely zero left there are a couple of dangerous hitters still in that lineup mullins has been a a problem for the yankees last couple of years uh trey mancini always uh, seems to hit the yankees well santander uh as well uh so i wouldn't be shocked if Maybe probably not tonight with Cole going, uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if the Orioles score some runs against the Yankees this series. But I just don't see how the uh, the Orioles pitching staff uh, holds the Yankees down at all. They're going to make a shakeup uh, defensively in the infield with Gleyber Torres going to second base, uh, and then uh, uh, Gio Urshela going to shortstop with Lemayu going to third. Uh, we, we all know about. Torres's misgivings at shortstop and defensively he's not but I was wondering why Velasquez wasn't put at shortstop he is a superb fielder he is but there is a little bit of thought that if you have him play every day you're going to get exposed uh, he's going to get exposed as a guy that probably can't hit much above 200. Uh, and the Yankees have experienced that to some degree with uh, with Higashioka uh, this year. Uh, you know, everyone loves the, the backup catcher the way in, in football. Everyone loves the backup quarterback uh, when when the frontline guy isn't necessarily producing. And you heard a lot of clamoring for, oh, uh, Higashioka should be uh, the Yankees' everyday uh, catcher, et cetera, et cetera, when Sanchez was struggling. And then when Sanchez got hurt and, and Higgy uh, played every day, you, you saw the batting average come down pretty significantly terrific defensive catcher we, we all know that uh pitchers like throwing to him they like throwing to sanchez too which is another thing that doesn't get uh, publicized as much but um you know I, there's guys that when they get day-to-day at bats uh they, they just they just don't hit big league pitching consistently and they won't and so while velasquez certainly is the superior fielder and i think he has a place on this roster as a defensive replacement perhaps late in games uh and obviously he adds a speed element uh which was very key for the yankees when they went on that stretch uh, earlier when they won 13 in a row and, and 35 out of 46 games and a lot of that had to do with a little bit different style of play from this team than uh, fans are accustomed to seeing and velasquez was a big part of that um you know the 
this team is struggling on offense and, and you need to have as many of your your big offensive bats going uh, at the same time as possible and as they head down the stretch you know look and I've, I've had plenty of people in the Yankee organization uh, say this to me uh, they need to get Torres back to the level uh, that he was a couple of years ago when he was hitting you know 35 plus home runs uh, and nobody talked about his defensive issues then um, and that and that the line that I've heard is if we're going to go where we think we should be able to go, Glaber Torres is going to going to be a part of that. And so, um, you know, I, I think that's why you, you saw that move. And again, uh, Velazquez, a, a, a great story, a very popular in the clubhouse. The, 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 the players really, it didn't take long for him to become a, a super popular uh, guy in there. Uh, but playing him five, six days a week just, just is not uh, not realistic. No, I understand that. Uh, when, you, when you see, look, there's 18 games to go in the season. And the basically, I think it's fair to say they're in, they're, uh, they're in a direct battle with, with Boston. But they're, look, they're only a game out in the loss column from Toronto. Now, the Blue Jays are, are hitting lights out. They've won nine of the last 10 games, and they, their order is murder. And we saw what the Guerrero did. I mean, this guy's on fire the way he, that he's taken over the uh, home run title. So is, is it fair to say that, that Tampa Bay is just too far out of the picture right now? I mean, they've got a significant lead for the AL East division. Yeah, I mean, the, the Yankees' sole focus at this point, I mean, publicly they're never going to concede anything because, uh, you know, it, until we're mathematically out of it, the, the division title remains our goal, et cetera, et cetera. But realistically, on the inside, their number one priority is – getting home field advantage for the one game wild card. Well, first of all, securing a playoff position and then getting home field advantage for that game and having Derek Cole all set, ready to go to pitch in that game. Uh, so everything that you see and read and observe over the next 17, 18 uh, games is going to be with, with that in mind. Period. End of story. Because, you know, Tampa, number one, is still playing well. Uh, I know they got blown out last night, but, you know, they, they just they played consistently well pretty much all season. Uh, they're too far uh, ahead of the Yankees, even with the three games left at the end of the regular season that Tampa plays at New York. Uh, you know, if you're being realistic about it, even with the Yankees having a, a far easier schedule the rest of the way than, than Tampa, uh, Tampa would really have to go into some kind of a, a historic uh, collapse the last three weeks and the Yankees would have to win, you know, virtually, you know, 75% of the remaining games uh, to even potentially make that a race. And, and I think, again, uh, realistically on the inside, the, the Yankees' uh, number one priority goal mandate, however you want to you know, phrase it, is uh, getting themselves in position to host that wild card game with a 100% or as close to 100% Garrett Cole uh, as possible on the mound for that night. Talk, taking a bite of the Big Apple with Eric Boland from New York Newsday. The schedule right now, the next few days become very critical. The Yankees play Baltimore. Toronto plays Tampa. And Boston is in Seattle, who can give them trouble. I mean, here's an opportunity where the Yankees can make some hay in the next few days. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, like I mentioned, that the, the schedule is favorable for the uh, for the Yankees. And I know that they've not always uh, taken advantage of the weaker teams on their schedule. But um, I think when you get to this time of year um, and the attrition that the season takes on teams, uh, you know, you can just see the energy level on the bad teams. It, it doesn't take much. It, you know, the, the, the teams come out, they play hard, they care, obviously. You saw that with Minnesota, way out of it. And they, they took a 5 nothing lead on the Yankees yesterday. So these are all professionals. And and, and, you know, they 
you know they're they're playing hard uh but it doesn't take much to prick that balloon either with with the bad teams and so you know a team like baltimore you get them down early and i think that's an example of that where you, they're probably not coming back whereas if they hit a couple of home runs early on then you know they're, they they feel they can win and, and teams do like to be spoiler at this time of year but uh you know again i, I know i used the word realistically a few times uh realistically the expectations from uh, from baltimore standpoint is uh, I, I almost feel like after what happened with them with toronto if they if they hold the yankees to uh, six seven runs a game that they will have felt they did a, a good job but yeah the, the yankees certainly have a, a good opportunity here to get healthy, uh, both in a standing standpoint and a physical standpoint with, with the, the run of teams that they have coming up because you've got Baltimore and then you've got Cleveland and then you have Texas and they're not very good either. Uh, so the, I, I would again be very surprised if the Yankees don't end up with, with one of those wild card uh, spots and I'd be surprised if they didn't host that game either based on what you just said with the schedule. Yeah, I've uh, in all the years I've been involved with baseball uh, as a player in high school and then in college and and now as a broadcaster and and I've never seen a team win as many as thirteen games in a row and then it was like the light switch went off and they've lost what twelve of the last sixteen I've never seen that where a whole team's top to bottom lineup just completely shut down. It's one of been. This is my thirteenth year, Howard, covering the Yankees, and, and this has been a, a unique year from that standpoint. I've never covered a Yankees team this streaky. And people have said, well, what, "What's the real uh, Yankees team? Are they the, the team that lurched very slowly out of the gate, really, the first three months of the season?" And they, at one point, were forty-one and forty-one, uh, and then they won thirty-five out of their next forty-six, which included the thirteen-game winning streak. And then they've kind of dubbed uh, nosedived a little bit, uh, as you mentioned, the last couple of weeks. What are the real Yankees? I think collectively, it's exactly what we've seen. They're an incredibly uh, streaky team that is capable of beating the best teams in the league. Uh, the talent certainly is there, but they're also capable of losing uh, to the worst teams in the league. So uh, really, and maybe it's a cop-out answer, but I, nothing would surprise me that the, the next three weeks, if the Yankees uh, make the wild card game and lose, it wouldn't surprise me. And if the Yankees end up going to the World Series, it wouldn't surprise me either. Um, I, I just think that they're if they get on one of the good streaks, like when they uh, won the 13 in a row and 35 out of 46, they, they play that caliber of baseball. They can play deep into uh, October uh, if the team that we've seen for the better part of the last two weeks shows up in the wild card game. They could be going home after that one game. I think the early on when they picked up Gallo and Rizzo, uh, it was almost like immediately, particularly Rizzo. Uh, his bat exploded uh, almost immediately. I think if you evaluate the acquisition of those two players, you got to come in with thumbs up. Oh, absolutely. And even with the struggles that Gallo has had, uh, he he solidified them in left field in a way that they they were not. Other than when Gardner's been playing out there, but because of all the injuries, uh, you know, you've seen Gardner in center a lot more than than in previous uh, years and so uh, what Gallo adds athletically in the outfield alone uh, made them a better team regardless of of the struggles that he's had at the plate and then Rizzo you know the same thing except for from the left side he's been much more consistent uh, batting wise actually is done better than what he was doing in, in Chicago most of the year where he, he really kind of uh, you know struggled around 255 260 or so uh, with the Cubs he's been better at that with the with the Yankees and at first base he, he's a, a clear upgrade in the field over over Luke Voigt the Yankees have 
I've been hurt at times not having Voigt uh, in the lineup uh, because he's kind of been boxed out uh, because of Rizzo. But uh, Rizzo is so much better uh, in the field, not for any lack of effort from from Voigt working on it over the years. But you know, Rizzo's he's a you know three four time Gold Glove winner over there, uh, and and infielders know if they they bounce one in, they're still a better than a uh, you know fifty fifty shot, much better than fifty fifty shot that the ball gets picked because uh, of Rizzo uh, being there. And again, the diversification that he adds with the lefty bat. Same thing with Gallo from the the left side sure. because this was a uh, overly uh, righty heavy lineup for for pretty much uh, all of the season up until the trade deadline. So yeah, absolutely. When you evaluate the uh, the, the main trade deadline acquisitions for the Yankees, definitely uh, two big thumbs up for uh, when it comes to Rizzo and Gallo. I don't remember Eric if I brought this up the last time we spoke, but when Luke Voigt uh, came out publicly and basically said he deserves to play. Uh, you know, he's done as much as Rizzo. Uh, what was the feedback, A, in the locker room, and B, with the organization? Mild. You know, it really, I mean, Boone was a little bit irritated at it, and he talked to uh, Voight behind the scenes. And, and really, the, the mistake that Voight made was mentioning Rizzo by name. Yeah. Know, there's certain player-on-player crimes that, that occur that, that uh, players, you know, will, will raise a red flag in the player community, if you will. And, and one of them is... You know, everybody wants to play. That's 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 accepted. You just don't mention people by name uh, when you're making a case for yourself to play. And so that was the only thing that maybe uh, rubbed people a little bit, but not much, uh, the wrong way. And 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 Boyd clarified that after the fact. And, and there's and there hasn't been an issue since. I mean, like I said, Boone when he was asked about it the next day, clearly was a little bit agitated by it. Um, and then you know talked to Boyd, and and that's been that. And you know, look, Luke's a very popular guy in that clubhouse, has been for uh, for three years. You know, misspoke a little bit. You know, I, I think that the message nobody had any problem with, just the uh, the manner in which he delivered it. Yeah. Uh, that was the only issue, and again, it was a mild issue with that. Taking a bite of the Big Apple with Eric Boland of New York Newsday covering the Yankees. Uh, and it's not like Voigt's actually tearing the cover off the ball since he said what he said, you know? No, you know, he's had he's had some moments, but he's kind of mirrored what the offense has been most of the season, where he's been very streaky. He's had uh, stretches where it doesn't seem like he can uh, make an out, and then stretches where it's been the, the complete opposite of that. Well, we know what Garrett Cole's all about. He is the ace of the staff. There's not even a discussion. The question is, where can they get quality starts from the remainder of the rotation? Yeah, that is the question. I mean, and, and Tyone is very much a question mark with that slight tear that he's got in his uh, in his tendon and his ankle. Um, they say that the news has been good the way he's been feeling the last few days, but we'll see on that one. Uh, I still find it hard to believe that a guy with a, a slight tear in his ankle is going to only miss just one start, which is what it's been uh, so far. Uh, so there's an asterisk on that one. Uh, Domingo Herman's pitching in a, a rehab game supposed to be tonight. But again, he's not you know, within the next week or so, I, I would say they'd be lucky to get him back the last 10 games of, of the regular season. Uh, it, Jordan Montgomery probably is their second best pitcher right now. And, and if, if not, you know, he's, he's had a tremendously underrated uh, season. But the question you ask, Howard, is a good one because, uh, you know, uh, Luis Heel uh, gave up the two first uh, home run, first inning home runs yesterday, but still managed to give him six innings. And, and that was sort of a, uh, you know, he was an under-the-radar hero from that game 
yesterday because if they had to dip into their bullpen in the second or third inning after the series that they had uh, with the Mets, that really maybe would have put them behind the eight ball coming into this series as bad as Baltimore has been. But, um, yeah, you know, the, the Yankees are going to have to uh, – uh, maybe get a little bit fortunate and, and hope that, that they get lucky with uh, Tyone's injury, uh, that Herman can come back uh, a little bit sooner than, than what they thought, uh, and that Kluber, uh, you know, becomes Corey Kluber again. His uh, Since coming uh, off the injured list, his three starts have not been great, uh, and they haven't been particularly long either. Uh, and they're going to need to have him ramp things up in the next uh, couple of weeks. But even the bullpen uh, has had a couple of glitches. Luis Iaga's out. How long is he out? Uh, it's indefinite. You know, the, uh, the, he has not started throwing yet. Uh, that, to me, w- w- is probably the most damaging injury they've had all season because he's been their best, most consistent reliever. They, they can use him in a variety of uh, roles. He almost reminds me a little bit of when uh, when Mariano came up in 96, or 95, rather, where uh, they didn't have closing games, but they were comfortable using him in the middle innings if they needed a big out. He could go two or three innings, or they could do matchups late in the, uh, late in the game, too, because his stuff uh, you know, played up, um, and you know you could depend on him in, in the high leverage situations. And Loiska and I'm not making the comparison to Mariano, but just in terms of usage and a young guy that throws hard um, and that, that confounds the, the opposition. Uh, that's where the, the comparison is, and, and Loiska has been that guy all season long. Uh, and it's uh, he's out indefinitely. They uh, he was when they put him on the IL, he was no throw for ten days. I think we're at day uh, seven or eight of that. Uh, you know, we'll see if he's close to being able to resume throwing again. But uh, that, that's been a, a huge, huge loss. And, and it has shown uh, with the amount of games that they've uh, struggled in the late innings and the, uh, with the bullpen. Issue. They were having those struggles anyway, and they just be, became more pronounced when uh, Loisica got hurt. Yeah, let me let me throw something at you before I let you go. Uh, you know, when Selig was commissioner, and I'm doing Milwaukee Bucks basketball, uh, and uh, I was asked to come on a talk show to preview the game uh, before the game. And the guy that was interviewing me, for some reason, uh, he said he had heard that I was against uh, the, uh, the team that wins the All-Star game. That league gets home field advantage in the World Series. And I was, di- I was really opposed to it and let, let my feelings be known to the point of where I mentioned Selig by name. Well, it's in Milwaukee. Who lives in Milwaukee? Bud Selig. He heard me. He calls into the show and asked to speak to me. And I said, bring him on. And we got into a debate. And I said, look, you're entitled to your opinion. You're the commissioner of baseball. I think the idea is foolish. You cannot have an exhibition game determine who gets home field in the World Series. I realize you're trying to pick up the All-Star game and make it relevant, but that's not the way to do it. Well, if he were commissioner today, I would raise the same objection that I have with starting extra innings with a runner at second base. I just think I'm too much of a traditionalist, Eric. I just don't like it. Yeah, but I'll tell you, Howard, I go back and forth on that one. And some of the things that they instituted last year uh, because of the pandemic, the, the seven inning double headers, for example, uh, I, I certainly I don't have any issues with that. And actually, that's very popular with the players, I have to say. Uh, the runner at second base, uh, I, I go back and forth. I really do. I would not like to see 
um, a playoff game decided that way. Uh, a regular season game in July, it doesn't offend me as much. So uh, I think I'm a circumstantialist when it, when it comes to that. Uh, you know, one of the best games, hands down, that I've uh, ever covered and was privileged to be there was the 18-inning uh, World Series game between the, uh, the Red Sox and the Dodgers uh, in 2018. Uh, I'll never forget that one. And if, uh, they had runners starting at second base. Uh, in extra innings in that game. There's no chance it would have lasted uh, 18 innings. Uh, so I, I would not like to see, like I said, a postseason game, whether it be a wild card game or a World Series game, whatever, uh, decided in that way. Uh, the regular season, uh, it just doesn't uh, bother me as much because those 18 inning games that occur in the regular season uh, can do a lot more harm than good when it comes to a roster for both teams. Do you think that they will continue that rule into the postseason? Uh, yes. Hmm. Okay. Uh, by the way, the postscript to the story about Selig, uh, he was a boyhood friend of Herb Cole, a longtime U.S. senator from Wisconsin, uh, who, by the way, owned the Milwaukee Bucks, and he's the guy who hired me. So that next morning, Herb Cole calls me in my apartment and said, um, I said, I know why you're calling me, Senator. I understand you're close to Bud Selig, but I feel strongly about what I said. I wasn't being disrespectful. He goes, no, I heard it, and you weren't disrespectful. Well, would you do me a favor? I said, what's that? Would you sit down with Bud Selig today at lunch with the three of us and talk it out? I said, sure. So I went to lunch with Bud Selig and Herb Cole that day in Milwaukee and during the afternoon. And he brought up the whole conversation again. And he, and he got really like loud in the restaurant. And I said, uh, uh, Bud, seriously, you have your opinion. I have my opinion. Is this really what this is about? Or are you being uh, overly defensive of your sport? He looked at me and he goes, "Yes." <laughs> well, that was always that was always his reputation that that you know you could mix it up and, and agree to disagree on something. But you know, ultimately he was a uh, ultimately was a baseball fan and is a baseball fan, um, and I, I, and you don't hear that uh, that same description of his uh, of the person who replaced him. I'll just leave it at that when it comes to purely loving the sport. Before I, I, I got to bring up one thing because it's become. A, I mean, I'm watching the Met game last night, and I'm saying that Ron Darling must have criticized the home plate umpire a half a dozen times in one inning, uh, and for the most part, he was right. That leads to the question about: uh, Don't we need to tighten that up a little bit? I mean, I'm seeing pitches that are a good four or five inches outside the plate being called for strikes. I mean, that this can't continue. Well, I'll, I'll say something I may have said it to you a couple of weeks ago or for somebody else that I was talking to. For as, as bad as people think balls and strikes are called now, please go to YouTube and call up any game if you're choosing from the 70s, 80s, even the 90s before they had the pitch tracker and the box and everything else. And you will see pitches called strikes and balls, etc. that you won't believe. And so I think a lot of it is perception. I think there's a lot of recency bias. Balls and strikes have never been called more accurately than they are called right now. And, and I, get, I get the irritation and the agitation that comes with, with some of the pitches that we see. But please, like I said, you, you and your, your audience, go call up a, a random game from the 80s or 90s or 70s and, and watch the, uh, the strike. And watch the reaction, by the way, of the players at the plate. You almost get no reaction. Even the famous Eric Gregg, Levon Hernandez, Game 6 from uh, the 1997 uh, NLCS, 
uh, with some of the strikes that the plate umpire Eric Gregg called that day, you see very little arguing from the Braves. And and a lot of those pitches are god-awful and not even close to strikes and, and look like they're a full 8 to 12 inches outside or high or whatever. Um, and so I think that there's a little bit of a, a perception issue because of the strike zone box that is a part of every broadcast now. And if a ball is a quarter of a centimeter outside uh you know umpires get marked down for that and people say oh how could you miss that well in real time at 101 miles an hour a quarter of an inch is probably a little bit difficult to discern so uh i'm not the right media person honestly howard to go ripping on the umpires because i'm one of the few that actually will defend them more often than than not Uh, i'm happy to get on them when they deserve it uh but balls that are a quarter of an inch outside to me they don't deserve it i uh i i I think fondly uh back when i'm in high school and I'm pitching a game, and it was an important game uh, late in the season. And the plate, a home plate umpire had a reputation for not being very good. And he, he made a couple of calls against me that, and I didn't argue. They were bad calls in my judgment and so on. And so I come up to bat in the next inning, and he calls a pitch a strike that I thought was clearly outside. I stepped out of the batter's box, and I turned to look, and I said, you know there's a Pearl Vision Center down the street, don't you? He threw me out of the game. Yeah, that would do it. <laughs> well, it's now it's funny because that that was then. This is now. <laughs> but what if you Thank didn't you, have? Howard, the, I appreciate the I appreciate the time as always. Stay yeah, well. I appreciate it, Eric. Thanks. You stay well too and stay safe. He is Eric Bone of New York Newsday. Oh, well, if you can't have some laughs, what the hell, you know? Thank Eric for taking a bite of the Big Apple with me. Thank Ralph Vacchiano of SNY Television. You folks have a great day. Stay safe. Thanks for taking a bite of the Big Apple with Howard David Live. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube